Well, wanted to uh, get into my message this morning and, and just have loved these, these messages over the last couple weeks. And I, and I have to tell you, I love studying God's Word. Like, I don't know if that's a prerequisite for being a pastor, but I just love to study the Bible. Every time I study it, I learn something new. I don't know about you, and I know I've met people who have, we'll just say they're seasoned veterans of Christianity, okay? And they say, I've read through the Bible five, six, eight, ten times. No matter what, I always find something new and a new way that God speaks. And so I really enjoyed through this series just diving into what, what are some of the gifts of Christmas that maybe we're not seeing in the midst of everything else. And, and so we started talking about that change-up that comes in the midst of the Christmas season. We're doing things differently, going different places, in a lot of cases being more generous and kind and compassionate and forgiving and merciful. And, and so those are really great gifts that God has given to us that we give to others. Last week, uh, we talked about how we get the feels during Christmas. You know, we love all of our Christmas movies and the warm fuzzies that they give us. But really, that even too is a gift from God because He has given us so much of Himself that we can really enjoy. And, and it, it really challenges us to give a part of that back to the people around us. But today, I want to talk to you about what I'm calling the reset button. How many of you have ever had a problem with your phone or your computer? What's the first thing you do? You got to turn it off and then turn it back on. And that fixed like 99% of your problems, right? It will fix 99% of the problems you have. You just got to get that reset. If you turn it off and then turn it back on, we'll all be good. But the, the reset, I think, is something that's really important to this Christmas season because the significance of Jesus coming is not just about a baby in a manger, and, you know, the, all these things that we look at. It's not about trees and gifts and presents. There's something very significant that we see at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And I want to kind of read through that over the next, over this next few moments together. But I want to tell you first about a pastor that I heard of that he was out visiting some people from his church and, you know, a smaller church. And he said, I want to visit every person in our church. So he's going from household to household, and he's knocking on doors and talking with them, and he has one more house to go and visit, and he knocks on the door, and he can tell that somebody's home, but nobody will answer the door, and it's, you know, frustrating. So he decides to pull out a pen and a paper, and he writes on this paper, Revelation 3.20, and he just slides it in and leaves. Well, the man who lives there finds the piece of paper, and he didn't know what it means, so he, he gets in his Bible and looks at Revelation 3.20, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open to me, I would come in and have fellowship with them. Well, the man was a little startled by that, but he's like, okay, I think I know how to respond to this. So Sunday comes, and the pastor had forgotten about it. He's preaching a great sermon. And at the end of the service, someone hands him a card. And he opens the card, and inside he says it's, it's from the man that he left the note for. And in the card, he only wrote these words, Genesis 3.10. Now, not being too familiar with that particular moment with what that verse was, the pastor looked it up and it said, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid and I hid for I was naked. <laughs> Just as, as someone who does visitation, I forgive you. If, if, that's, if that's the route you choose to go, that would be perfectly fine. But that's the moment that takes place. And, and listen, there's something about this. If you've ever been in the kind of one of those moments where you're like, I'm just going to run up the stairs or, and like there's lights in your driveway, it's a terrifying moment. But, but there's a reason for it, that this sense that we feel inside of us. We can see it right here in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read this for you to give us a, you know, a kind of an understanding of the, the background significance of what Jesus has done for us. So we read this in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 15. 
It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He, re- he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. We just, we read that a minute ago. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man knows exactly what to do. Let's take note here. The man replied, it was the woman. Then he takes it a step further. It was the woman that you gave me. So he's going to blame her and blame God. So literally, this is God's fault, okay? You gave her to me, and she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Now, she's already seen my husband got away with this. I'm going to give it a shot. The serpent! He deceived me. It was him. He did it. That's why I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. There is a moment in the beginning of the story of what Jesus has done for us. This is it. In the Genesis account of Adam and Eve and the brokenness that comes into the world, something happened in this moment that is a big part of our story. It's the moment when shame and blame came into our world. Now, again, I, I, I got to be honest. I can't even wrap my head around this idea of just walking around naked. That's not a great feeling, okay? But this is how we were created, and God says, here it is, this is, there's no shame, everything is fine, everything is good, but when sin comes into the world, they immediately felt shame, and right next to that shame is coupled this next idea, it's got to be somebody else's fault. And so the man, like we, we read here, just, he blames his wife, and then he blames God, because he's like, God, if you hadn't given me this woman, I'd have been better off. I wouldn't have even sinned. You gave her to, so really, God, this is your fault, and he's just passing on the blame. God, this is you. You did this. The reality is that when God created the, the garden, he gave it to, the, to Adam and Eve. He literally said, I've got one rule, and every person in here with children knows that one rule is one rule too many, right? You've got one rule. You see my tree over there? Uh-huh. Don't eat that. Okay. Is he gone? Like, isn't that what we do with our kids? Like, you got one rule. Shame and blame came into the world in that very moment. This shame of knowing that we've sinned against God, that we've rebelled against God's plan. And Adam and Eve are really sensing this, and and they just hide. And and I love, I I heard a preacher years ago uh, say that the way you read that will speak a lot to your own shame in your life. Because when God is calling to Adam, when he says, Adam, where are you? He says, the way you read that speaks a lot about how you view God. Do you hear, Adam, where are you? Or do you hear, Adam, Adam, where, where are you? And the way that you read that speaks a lot into your own, your own theology of God and, and where you're at in your life. A lot of it speaks to that shame and blame. And this is exactly what happened. But right here, even in this very first moment where mankind is messed up and there's shame and there's blame abounding, God steps in and he goes, I've got a plan. I've got a plan and I'm going to fix it and I'm going to restore it 
and I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he is going to bring war against this serpent that has broken my creation, and I'm going to fix it. And, and we see this is going to play out, and then we see later on in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 11, we'll read this, where he speaks even further to this promise of what's about to happen. Because what's going on when this is being written in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah is actually prophesying. He's telling all the people, listen, sin, shame, blame, brokenness, they've become so terrible that God can't even have anything to do with us anymore. Everything we do is wicked. We're worshiping false gods and we're pretending to be righteous while being wicked and we're allowing all of these broken things. And so God uses Isaiah to speak to the children of Israel. And this is literally 500 years before Jesus comes. But in the midst of telling them, you're about to be sent into captivity because of what you've done. You're going to experience brokenness and pain and loss because of what you've done. He couples that with promise. And so this is what we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 10. He says about his son Jesus coming. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of, a, of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the water fills the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne, that's a reference to Jesus, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. This is the gift that he's talking about. This is the greatest gift of all time. It is the gift of the reset button. It's the gift of grace. It's the gift of mercy. It's the gift of forgiveness. And listen, God is speaking this to Israel while telling them, I'm going to punish you. I have to punish you because of what you did, because you turned your backs on me and you rebelled against me and you've allowed every wicked thing into your lives that I told you not to do, that I warned you. And, and again, we can get this picture of God like, you don't do this and you don't do that. And Christianity, religion, so often being reduced to this idea of just do's and don'ts. But the reality is that God, the Father in heaven, looks on us, on you, on your life, and he sees what's going to hurt you. And he says, oh, please, Stay away from that because it's going to bring shame to you. It's going to bring blame to you. It's going to bring pain into your life. Don't go that way. But we see time and time again through the history of the Old Testament that the people of God just continue to choose the broken things. But God says in the midst of that, I have promise and peace coming for you. I have promise and peace coming for you. I'm working on a gift I'm working on a gift for you that I'm going to give to you that's going to change everything about you. I see how messed up you are. I see all the things you're going through. I see how you've rebelled against me. And listen, you read through the book of Isaiah. He makes so clear, and Jeremiah is the same way. One of them, I was reading this not too long ago, just kind of hurt my heart. God says, you literally turn your backs to my altar and bow down and worship other gods. That's the imagery. He's like, you, you go to my temple court and here's my altar where, where you should be worshiping me and you turn your back to that and you bow down and you worship idols. And he's like, in the middle of you doing that, I've still got a plan. I'm still working on a gift for you. 
I'm still working on blessing you. I'm still working on sending you the greatest gift of all. We know that to be Christmas. And we look at Jesus and it's this idea of this baby being born in a manger and the shepherds and the wise men and the angels and now somehow Christmas trees, which I don't fully understand, but we decorate trees for Jesus and we hang lights on our houses for Jesus and we buy presents and we do all of these things. But the reality of what is true at the center of Christmas is this gift of grace and forgiveness that God gives to us. And the vehicle for it is His one and only Son, Jesus. And if you stop to think about it, I mean, the fact that God forgives us is really insane. You know, none of us can deserve it. We, don't, we just can't earn it. We can't deserve it. There's nothing that you or I has ever done that God's like, oh, you know what? I'm, I want to forgive them because they did a good thing there. That was really good. No. No, God just loved us so much that he wanted to give a gift to us. And that's this gift at Christmas that we receive. It's this baby who was the son of God who would grow up and become the very vehicle that God spoke about in Genesis that he spoke to his people through in the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah when he said, you're broken, but I've got a plan. You're messed up, but I've got a plan. You're living in sin, but I've got a plan. I've got a gift that I'm working on that's going to change all of it. It's the reset button. It's grace. And after Jesus, we read in the book of Romans, Paul writes to the Roman church, and he tries to explain this incredible gift to them. He's like, guys, I don't want you to miss this. Please don't miss what Jesus has done. Don't go through Christmas and get to the first of the year and miss what this gift really means. And so in Romans 5, verses 15 and 16, he says this. There is a great difference between Adam's sin his blame and his shame and all those things, and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And as a result of God's gracious gift, it is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. Blame, right? Blame him. Blame her. Blame him. Blame them. Blame society. It's a tough world to live in right now. It's hard to be Christ-like in the world that we're living. It's hard to live for Jesus because everything is so messed up. He says, for Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though, look at this, even though we are guilty of many sins. God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. I want you to think of it, you know, if you've ever seen a courtroom setting, they got the, or served on a jury or anything, or probably watched this on TV, but there's this setting, and, and you got the the jury is standing here and it's, they're the 12 peers and they're looking and all the evidence has been given. And they all come in and they sit down. And, and I was actually, years ago, I was the foreman of a jury. I actually had to read our verdict um, on the jury. But the, the judge, he says, Mr. Foreman, would you please read the verdict aloud for the courtroom? And it says, on this count, we find the defendant guilty as charged. 
And I, and I think of it in these terms, like here, here's my life, and I'm in this courtroom before God, and, and, and God could very easily look at me, and, if, and if, for any of us, and I'll just put myself on display here, but if my life were to be laid out and all the things that I've done wrong and the sins and the brokenness, listen, there'd be every reason for a judge and jury to point at me and say, guilty, guilty. He is guilty for sinning against the blood of Jesus. He is guilty for sinning against the will of God. He is guilty for sinning against what God wanted him to do. And listen, I'd have to stand there as the defendant, and yes, it's me, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But this gracious judge, after this guilty verdict is read, stands up and he says, don't punish him, punish my son instead. That's the picture. That's what Jesus did. That's the gift of Jesus. This gift that God has given to us through mercy and grace. He says, yep, Chris deserves it. He should have to pay for it. Guess what? The, the punishment for his guilty verdict is actually death. But don't put it on Chris. Put it on my son Jesus. Put it on him. He'll pay the price for it. And that's the gift that God gives to us. It's the gift of grace and forgiveness. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Listen, I know I've been where you've been. I grew up in church. I thought my pastor was the bee's knees and he probably never sinned. Let me confess to you, I still fall short of the glory of God. I still need forgiveness from God. I still have to lay things before the Lord and say, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you. Every one of us in here has been in that place. You know, when I've messed up and I'm like, God, please forgive me. I'm so grateful. God, I don't deserve it, but thank you for forgiving me. It is the greatest gift of Christmas ever, for all time, of any time. This gift that we receive from God where we just didn't deserve it. But even in looking at our brokenness and seeing how messed up we were, he's like, listen, I'm, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you mercy. I've got a plan even from the very beginning to fix what man messed up. And so God gives us this great gift, but then there's another step to it. Because in Matthew 10, verse 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. You've probably heard it before. He says, you received this freely, this gift. Now go and give it to others. You received this gift for free. Now go give it to others. Give it to them. Let them have what you got. It didn't cost you anything. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm glad it doesn't cost us a thing to receive the forgiveness of God because Jesus already paid for it. But he says, I gave that to you, now go and give it to somebody else, even though, and think of it this way, because we were in that same boat, even though they don't deserve it. Go forgive them, because I forgave you, and I love you, and I have a plan for you. Church, the reset button, I love it when I look at the story of Jesus, because that's what he did for me. That's what he did for my life. I'm so grateful that Jesus loved me enough to be willing to die for me. Listen, it wasn't nails that kept him on a cross. It wasn't Roman soldiers who were threatening him. He said he loved you. He loved me so much that he said, I will stay here and I will take this guilty punishment that isn't mine because I love them that much. And so church, I want to challenge you to receive that gift because you know, it's an easy thing to understand. God's forgiveness is an like we, we know that God says, I forgive you for what you've done. That's so simple to understand but it is so difficult to actually receive. 
because we still sometimes live in that place of shame. Like, I know God forgave me for this, but I still have shame about it. I still feel shame in my heart because of it. And, and I live with that every day, and I'm, I'm trying to forgive myself. I know God forgave me, but I, I just don't feel forgiven. It's, it's a real struggle that we go through. But it's a gift that God has given to us, and it's the greatest aspect of anything that we'll ever talk about in conjunction with Christmas. This gift of Jesus, this gift of grace. And I want to encourage you to receive it this year. And then in turn, give it. Give it away. Give it away to people who don't deserve it. Because Jesus did that for you. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much, literally just for in my own life and my own heart. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. There are so many things in my life that I don't deserve forgiveness for. and I'm so grateful to you, Lord, for loving me enough to send your son, Jesus, for taking my guilty verdict and placing it on your son and making him pay the price for it. I don't deserve that, Lord, and I just thank you so much for it. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see that reality around us of what you did. It's not just this, this baby that was born. It's not just this manger scene and wise men and shepherds and angels. But it's the gift of mercy that you have given us through your son, Jesus. It's the gift of forgiveness that we were never going to get on our own. We were never going to make it to the place of forgiveness unless you gave us grace. And that all-sufficient grace, God, which covers us, brings us back to your heart. And we thank you for that, God. As we're in prayer this morning, I just want to maybe speak to two different groups of people who might be in this room this morning. The first is maybe you're here and you've found it difficult to get out from under the shame of your past. Maybe you know God has forgiven you and you, you tell yourself, I know, like the Bible says, I'm forgiven, but I just, I struggle with the shame of, of my past and what I feel. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I want, I want to be at a place where I don't have to live with that shame anymore. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Maybe you're in the, the other group that says, I feel, I feel the, the forgiveness of God in my heart, but I know that there's somebody that I need to forgive, and I, I just can't. God, would you help me? If that's you, can I ask you to raise your hand? Because I want to pray for that too. Yeah, many hands. Many. Thank you. Thank you. God, I want to be able to forgive. I don't want to miss anybody. Anybody else? Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as, as we get ready to close out together in prayer? You know, as I said before, receiving the gift of God's grace and mercy is not the same as just understanding it. We know that God forgives us. But knowing that in our hearts and living it in our hearts is a totally different thing. And so for the number of you who raised your hand and said, I want that forgiveness, can I, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And then we'll, we'll all join in prayer together with you. But 
I want to lead you in a prayer that you just begin to say, God, I want freedom from the shame of my past. I want, to, I want freedom from the shame of the things that I've done. Would you, would you put me in a place, God, where I realize this gift of mercy that you've, you've given to me and that I live in it every day without shame or blame or fear or condemnation because I know that I'm in you. And then I want to pray for those of you who raised a hand. You know, it, it's a real thing. Listen, I, I've had conversations with people that have to forgive some really hard things. It's hard. I'm not making light of it. I've had to forgive really hard things in my life. It's not easy to do. I'm not saying that flippantly. But I believe that God gave us that gift to give away. And it's so important for us to share that with others. So will you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. For taking my guilt upon yourself and removing my shame. And I want that shame to be gone forever come into my heart and into my life i give myself into your hands in jesus name god i pray for those in here who are struggling to forgive lord put the picture in our minds that you displayed as you forgave that while crowds surrounded you and mocked you cursed you spit on you they punched you and ripped your beard out you looked at them and you said father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing and lord i know we tell ourselves that forgiveness is a divine thing but help us lord to do this divine thing to give away what we have received from you this incredible gift god of mercy that we don't deserve. Lord, we thank you for loving us and for sending your son Jesus. And as we celebrate Christmas this week, I pray that this would be the gift that we truly receive. The gift of mercy and grace, the reset in our lives that takes away our brokenness and opens the door for us to be able to have true and right relationship with you. And God, as we see the value of that and how precious it is, would you then in turn Bring us to the place where we can forgive others. God, let there be peace in our hearts as we do so. Let there be peace and freedom from the pain and the bitterness that was within our hearts, oh God, because we need you. And Lord, I pray that you'll pour out your blessings on us as we celebrate together, as we give glory to you and thank you for the gift of your son, the gift of mercy. I pray that you will just continue to be honored and glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you said that prayer for the first time this morning, we'd love to connect with you. You could connect with one of the members of our prayer team. It'll be up here at the front. Or you can text Jesus FLC to 94000. But we'd love to hear what God is doing in your heart. Pray and just believe that the Lord is going to do awesome things in you. We have our Duncan with the pastors in the cafe. I'd love to invite you to that if you're new. But Lord bless you. Have a wonderful week and give glory to God in all that you do.